0: As I've been preparing my heart to share this message today, and as is so many times the case, the Lord speaks into me before I ever get a chance to speak to you, and one of the prayers I have in my life all the time is that I would never preach a message that hasn't changed me first. And as I've looked at that and thought about it this week, I've, I've wondered, what would it be like to encounter a risen Christ? What would it have been like to be one of those who first saw Jesus alive? And, and I think we can always wonder that, but the other thing I've been wondering, what was it like for Jesus? Can you imagine coming out of the grave and, and coming up to someone and saying, I know you thought I was dead? check it out <laughs> that's a paraphrase it's a paraphrase imagine imagine the excitement Jesus would have of saying I know you didn't get this when I was telling you about it but look the grave couldn't hold me Job cried out, I know my Redeemer lives. And for thousands of years, people wondered what that meant. And then Jesus came and said, this is what it means that your Redeemer lives. I can imagine that morning as he waited in the garden. And as Mary came and she thought he was the gardener. And I could imagine he was just like, maybe not. And he says, Mary. Snap, it's you, Lord. It's like, wow, can you think of what it would be like to be part of that? And while we we look at that and while we try to use our biblical imagination to bring ourselves into the story, the truth is the power of the resurrection is just as real for us today. And I'm hoping as we look at these passages together this morning that you'll see in some ways it's even more powerful for us who believe now. So we're looking at this this idea that we have hope because he's still risen, and what we're looking at is a stuck screen. Click. Me, you. Ah. A risen king brings in invites, inexpressible, rejoicing. A risen king invites inexpressible rejoicing. And I love this. We're going to be looking together, and we're going to be in two places in Scripture. We're going to be in John chapter 20, um, verses 24 through 29, and then we're also going to be in First Peter chapter 3. So you may want to find those two places in your copy of God's Word. And, and we're going to be looking at these and seeing how Jesus reveals this truth to us, that a risen king invites inexpressible joy. The first thing we're going to see in order to understand this is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And as we look in the Gospels and we see the different accounts we have of the appearances of Jesus to those who had thought he was dead, and we see that there's different occurrences in Scripture, we're going to look at just one of those together today. John chapter 20... Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now you're probably familiar with this, this account in the gospel. Maybe it's one you've thought about and looked at before. What happened is on the the day that Jesus was raised, he appeared to the apostles, and he appeared to them at a point in time where Thomas wasn't with them. Now, we don't know why Thomas wasn't with them. We can suppose and we can imagine, but the truth is we don't know exactly why Thomas wasn't there. Some people think maybe he was afraid and Some people think, you know, for whatever reason. I've often wondered if he wasn't wasn't out trying to find out what in the world had happened. Maybe maybe he was out because he, in some way, believed God, believed Jesus. At any rate, when, when Jesus appeared to those disciples, John chapter 20, verse 20 says, When he had said this, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So as the disciples come to Thomas and as they tell him what had happened, they say, The Lord came to us, and the Lord showed us his hands, and he showed us his side. So it's natural, I believe, for Thomas to say, Well, then I want to see that too. If you saw it, I want to see it. And so he says, unless unless I see this, I won't believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. It's interesting that every time Jesus appears in a room... In post, post-resurrection, he, he needs to say peace be with you because I would think that poof, him showing up would not necessarily create peace, right? Peace be with you, he says. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. What a powerful passage. In many ways, this is my favorite, if I could say it that way, account of Jesus revealing himself after he was risen from the dead. Because it's, it's just real, and it's true. I love that God has chosen to preserve in, in writing what happened and what occurred. We are so blessed that God has chosen to do that and, and has preserved scripture for us and gives us these accounts that we, can, that we can read. I sometimes wish that I could be there when these things were happening. Have you ever thought about that? What would it be like to be you know, the proverbial fly on the wall who was there? Because you, know, you can read all sorts of inflections into scripture, can't we? And as we try to imagine what exactly was going on in that room, Jesus knew exactly what Thomas had asked for. Jesus knew exactly what Thomas had said. I won't believe unless I, and so Jesus came and said, do it. Touch, believe, know. I am alive. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord, my God. Which is basically saying, I believe. Now what's interesting is as we think about Thomas, many times we have him cast into a role. And what is that role? Doubter. Doubting Thomas. All right? And... One of the most significant things about this passage in Scripture is that it shows us that a risen Christ makes it possible for us to no longer be defined by the things that have defeated us. A risen Christ makes it possible for us to no longer be defined by the things that have defeated us. For Thomas, it was hard for him to believe. And that in some ways, I suppose, identified him and caused him to be defeated. But an encounter with the risen Christ gave him a new definition. He was no longer a doubter, he was a believer. And Thomas, the believer, church history tells us, was such a strong believer that he took the gospel all the way to India to make sure as many people as possible knew that Jesus was alive and that our Redeemer lives not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus is alive. That's the first thing we need to realize if we're going to understand what it means that a risen king invites inexpressible rejoicing. The second thing we need to see is that Jesus' resurrection gives us living hope. It gives us living hope. And for that, we'll turn to 1 Peter. Now, 1 Peter... I believe in many ways this, this letter of 1 Peter is written at a point in time where the believers had been scattered all over the Roman Empire. And as they were scattered all over the Roman Empire, they began to experience some, some suffering, some frustration. They were, they were cast aside, and they were starting to experience some severe suffering. And so as Peter writes to them, to encourage them and to help them have a, a hold of what truth is, what he uses to help them understand what they need to have if they're going to maintain their faith in the midst of suffering, he uses the resurrection of Jesus Christ to show them what their living hope is. I believe in some ways Peter is unpacking for us that that moment in time when Jesus revealed himself. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is amazing, really. When you look at this and you read this and you grab hold of what this is saying, (laughs) Peter's is bursting at the seams as he writes this and he's writing to people who are experiencing trials and he says to them you according to the mercy of god have been born again into a living hope a living hope this is a hope that's vibrant and alive it's not a stagnant hope See, we, we hear at Christmas, we talked about a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. And, and so much of this is true. You see, the, the thrill of hope is knowing Christ. And making him known allows the weary world to rejoice with the knowledge of who Christ is. To rejoice in that living hope. See, if you come to a place where you trust Jesus as your Savior, you are born Again you are reborn. You're born anew. There's a new life that comes into you. What you do is you say, God, this, this life I have had that has sought myself and my own rule and my own reign that has brought all this paid into my life and has has separated me from you and, and the sin that I've had that has caused your wrath and, and this longing I have, I know I need to be forgiven for these things that I've done and, and, and to come to him and to be able to say, forgive me. And at that point, you're born anew and your sins are forgiven. And the Bible tells us that your sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west. And that God chooses not to remember them any longer. And that gives you a living hope. You see, at that moment in time, God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, comes to live in you. Jesus lives in you. Hope lives in you. And, and it's a, it's a hope that, that is alive. It's a hope that's vibrant. It's a hope that grows. It's a hope that flourishes. It's a hope that overwhelms you. And it begins to touch every part of your body, every part of who you are. It touches the very core of you. Of you and you have a living hope, not stagnant. It's not like you get it for a minute and then it's gone. It's in you growing vibrantly and alive. And, and it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's because Jesus is alive. It's because he defeated death. It's because with Christ in us, being born again helps us understand, do you know that the mortality rate among humans is 100%? And yet, for those who know Christ, eternal life is theirs, and death cannot touch them. And that hope in us grows, and it it impacts us. And Peter goes on to say that we're born again to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. See, there's an inheritance for you that's waiting in heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to be where I am. There is an inheritance that's waiting for you in heaven, and it's an amazing inheritance, and it will not spoil, it will not fade, it will not rust, it will not be destroyed, it will not grow old, you will not be bored with it, you will not need something more next week. It is held there for you, guarded by Jesus, kept in heaven for you in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved by various trials can i get a witness various trials in our lives right do you do you experience that have you been impacted by that it's significant here jesus says or peter says in this you rejoice for a little while You've been grieved a a little while. Now, I know some of your stories, don't know all your stories, but I know some of your stories, and some of you have been grieved for a lot more than what seems like a little while, right? It reminds me of Moses headed up the mountain. And God called Moses up the mountain. And as he headed up the mountain, he was there for a few days and all of a sudden, the people who were waiting for him thought it was taking him a little too long. So they went to Aaron, and they said, Aaron, this Moses fellow, I don't know what happened to him, but he's been gone so long. We don't know if he's coming back. And so Aaron fashioned a, a statue, an idol. And at the same time as that was happening, Moses was up on the mountain face-to-face face with God. Can you imagine? Face to face with God. And on, on the foot of the mountain, they're saying, He's been gone for so long. And as God's talking to Moses, He says, You need to go down there because these people have been quick to leave me. Ooh. Do we get a glimpse of the perspective? of God at that moment in time. Listen, God has an eternal perspective and as we have a living hope in us, that living hope allows us to grab hold of that eternal perspective of God. And as we look at the eternal perspective of God and we realize that 10 gazillion years from now, times 10 gazillion years from now, the various trials that we're experiencing right now will have only been for a little while. So if you're in the midst of something like that, could I encourage you, dear friends, to know that you have in heaven for you an inheritance that will not spoil or fade. And it's being held for you and guarded for you by God. And you rejoice in these trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, and, and Peter tells you that your faith is more precious than gold that perishes even though it's refined by fire. So your faith is so precious that, that the trials are coming so that your faith can be proved as genuine and can result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, these trials are coming into your life so that you can reveal Jesus in the midst of them. And I love, as I know some of your testimonies, and I watch you and I see you, and I see how you're experiencing these trials. And so many times as I watch you, I see that you're experiencing these trials in a way that puts the spotlight on God. And and you go through them differently than you did if you didn't have that living hope inside of you. And as you experience these light and momentary troubles, looking forward to that moment, that banquet of the Messiah, and as we wait for those things and allow this suffering to happen in our lives in a way that builds our faith, the world looks on and says, what's up with that? And we say, Jesus. Jesus is our living hope. See a risen king invites inexpressible rejoicing. Jesus is alive. Jesus' resurrection gives us living hope, and then there's this last one. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but I'm excited to show it to you. There's something really special. Are you ready? Jesus offers a special blessing. He offers us a special blessing. And it's found there as we go a little bit farther in the Gospel of John and the account with Thomas. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's you. That is you. You have believed but have not seen. As much as I read the passages of Scripture and as much as I love to use my biblical imagination to imagine what it was like to be in that room and watch Thomas touch the side of Jesus, and, and as much as I try to imagine these things, I wasn't there. I know it's true because of the witnesses. I know it's true because God doesn't lie. I know it's true because the tomb is empty. I know it's true. My Redeemer lives. I spoke with him this morning Amen? But Jesus speaks a special blessing over us. Maybe because he knew we needed it. And it's a blessing on those who have not seen and yet believed. And I wonder, how do you live out your life with a special blessing of God placed upon you? Now, we want to be careful. Because we don't want to look at what this, this blessing is and, and distort it. Many times you'll hear pastors talk about the blessing of God that comes and that you won't be sick anymore and you'll have new cars and you'll have all these things. And, and Scripture doesn't teach that. Some people do, but Scripture doesn't. Scripture teaches that we serve a risen Savior who suffered And he suffered as an example for us so that when we suffer, we can suffer in the way he did. He doesn't promise that we won't suffer in this world. He says that we will. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome this world. See, there's a blessing that's waiting for us. It's in heaven, but there's also a blessing that happens here. And that, I believe, we find in 1 Peter. And and again, going back to chapter 1 and reading just a little bit farther in, in the verses that we read earlier. Though you have not seen him, you love him. It's almost as if Peter's helping us understand a little bit more what Jesus meant when he said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Though you have not seen him, You love him. You have been designed by God to be in an intimate relationship with him. You have been designed by God to experience the presence of God in your life. Your choice to sin removes that possibility, but the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and your repentance makes it possible for you to experience the presence of God in your life. And when you experience the presence of Jesus in your life, you love him. The children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, the second verse, I love Jesus, does he know, have I ever told him so? Jesus longs to hear me say that I love him every day. See, you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, you are filled with an inexpressible joy. What does that look like in your life? Now, I understand and know that not everybody is is outwardly expressive. We're all made different. That's what makes us so incredible. Each one of us is unique, and God has made us uniquely. But listen and understand, when the living hope has filled your life, and you grab hold of the presence of God in your life, It stirs in you joy that is inexpressible. No matter how hard you try, you can't put into words what it means to have Jesus in your life. And and you try, And, and we try. We have songs that we sing, we have prayers that we offer, we have words that we speak, and all of these things we're trying to put into words that which is inexpressible. God dwells in you. Put that into words. How does that impact your life, friend? I mean, really. When you think of the things we've experienced this year and those trials that have been for a little while, How has the joy of Christ, the joy of the living hope in your life allowed you to take this momentary suffering and put it over here where it belongs as you look forward to the inheritance that's held for you in heaven? How have you been able to live in light of eternity that says, my Redeemer lives? You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. So what? How are you living out the special blessing that arisen Jesus has spoken over you? Now maybe you've never thought of it as a special blessing before. But if indeed you believe that Jesus lives, if you have trusted him as your savior, you are overwhelmed by his presence in your life there's an inexpressible joy and an inheritance that's held forever for you God I thank you praise you for that this unbelievable truth that Jesus is our redeemer God you know (laughs) there's nothing we would do to seek you we would move away from you unless you revealed yourself to us, you know there was no way that we could be right before you. There was no way that we could ever make up for the sins in our lives. Not only did Jesus die to pay the penalty for our sin, he rose from the dead to give us victory over death. He indwells us to give us a living hope And one day, he's coming. That moment in time, Father, when you look to Jesus and say, now, and he's coming back. And until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, we'll carry on. Until the day our eyes behold the city. Until that day, God calls us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a moment in time that John speaks of in his revelation when the scroll is brought and the scroll must be opened for the in-time events to begin to occur. And all around heaven it's sought who is worthy to open the scroll. And John begins to cry because there's no one. And then comes the Lamb of God, who's worthy to open the scroll, who begins to put into it, into place the things that have been promised for us. So stand with me and join this beautiful response song of our risen Redeemer, the one who's worthy.